Father, we thank you for this day. We're grateful for the opportunity now to continue our study, and uh, we pray that you'd grant us grace to be attentive to the riches of your word, and uh, in apprehending those riches, to be profitable servants of you, yours, to glorify your Son, and to do good to others, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, tonight we want to complete um, our consideration of last week, and then uh, I want to talk a little bit about what to do next. Um, the uh, I had in mind that we'd be at a different place at this point, and um, I had intended for us to meet next week. However, the subject matter that I'm going to is going to take at least three weeks to cover, uh, which means that we would go from uh, December 14th to about January 9th or something. And uh, I'll have forgotten all that by then, and I suppose you might be tempted to as well. Um, so I'm thinking that we just won't meet next week and we'll wait till the first of the year to take uh, the subject matter up again unless um, you, you all think it would be profitable if you have questions about things that we've covered thus far. I'd be glad to meet uh, next week and like we have in the past, just had a session of people raising questions or for that matter, about anything else, we, we, I think we opened it up and just made it general. So think about that while uh, we're meeting tonight, and then I'll ask again at, uh, to see what your pleasure is and uh, whether we should um, skip it or uh, meet next week, but have it be principally for questions about this or any other subject. Um, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we, we last time we were looking again at part of our examination of uh, wholesome words, what the wise men of Israel said about that subject, and um, we'd come to the concluding section uh, on the making of wholesome words. What counsel do they have with respect to the making of wholesome words? And we saw that there were two principal needs. Um, one, that uh, you had the right character. Uh, the Proverbs speak of the heart of the righteous as being the source of wholesome words. And uh, then, um, two, uh, that there's consideration. That the one who has that character nevertheless gives careful consideration to how one speaks. Uh, they ponder the matter, is the way the wise man put it. And we had come, we, we looked uh, at some length on an elaboration of those points, according to the scripture, and we had come to a place where we were beginning to make some uh, application of it, and to sort of get us back into it, since we've been several weeks from the matter, uh, I'm going to just re review the first part of the application that we had taken up and then bring us to the place where we had quit uh, at our last meeting. So we first 
we're asking ourselves what do we make of this with respect to the question of wholesome words and character formation. Um, so to repeat, in order to speak well, there must be a suitable well from which wholesome words flow forth. That well must be formed in a person. In fact, the Proverbs in Scripture are largely given for this very well formation, this molding of the character of the young of Israel. And uh, I tried to sum the matter up in uh, a sentence um, that character is formed by the judicious and consistent application of pleasures and pains to the body and the conscience in relation to particular acts such that one owns the behavior and feels the connection between act and consequence and realizes that in large measure he is the master of the consequences by the decisions he makes. Uh, now that's a long and complicated sentence, but I it uh, I think grabs every essential point that the Proverbs make, uh, make for us here. Let me say it again, and then we'll look at the parts. Uh, character is formed by the judicious and consistent application of pleasures and pains to the body and the conscience in relation to particular acts, such that one owns the behavior and feels the connection between act and consequence, and realizes that, in large measure, he is the master of the consequences by the decisions he makes. This is what the sages teach us about the formation of character in Proverbs. Uh, so it is uh, a judicious application of pains and pleasures. Uh, that is, it's rooted in justice. You are given what is your due. Uh, praise where praise belongs. Reproof where reproof belongs. Too much praise for too little achievement cheapens the praise and weakens its character-forming effect. Too much reproof for small matters provokes re resentment and, again, weakens the character-forming capacity. Uh, and I, I mentioned that if, if my own view is that it's for want of this judicious application uh, in American culture that we see the collapse of character formation in the, in the, the generations uh, that are now coming of age, and it, it is not a, a harbinger of happiness for our culture. Nevertheless, uh, that's the truth of it. It's rooted in justice. Second, it's consistent. Only consistent application of pains and pleasures in, re in re relationship to reward and punishment produces habits, and only habits produce character. 
Uh, we'll see this reinforced here in just a minute. And uh, it's the application of pleasures and pains to both the body and the conscience. Uh, the body especially with respect to the young. So Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Do not hold withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his, his life from death. Now the text there says save his soul from Sheol. But as I mentioned, uh, here the word soul is used in the sense of animating life in the Old Testament. And death uh, is the place of death, Sheol. It isn't eternal death. So uh, in this proverb, redemption is not in view. Rather, it's this worldly flourishing. This is not justification by being struck with the rod alone, but rather it's a way of preserving this worldly life by being disciplined properly and learning the lessons of that discipline. Such discipline, according to the Proverbs, is an act of parental love. Proverbs 13.24 Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. Uh, I can't help but mention here, uh, some years ago, uh, many, many years ago now, I had a job uh, with a Christian group in Washington uh, as a, uh, a young college student. And uh, when they would have uh, dignitaries and speakers brought into town. It'd be my job to uh, drive them from place to place and uh, so on. And uh, so a, a woman that was speaking uh, had come into town and we were talking as I drove and uh, uh, I was, uh, somehow we got on the question of child discipline and uh, I was saying that I thought it was crucial that uh, corporal punishment was taught in the Bible and that it ought to be embraced in its proper form, of course. Uh, and she said, well, how can you possibly think that? And I said, well, uh, it seems to me clear in the scripture. And she said, well, have you not read the Proverbs? Uh, doesn't it teach there, um, spare the rod and spoil the child? <laughs> she took that to be an imperative, not an unhappy <laughs> conjunction. <laughs> I, I was so stunned. I was so startled. I, I couldn't speak. I said, oh, well, there's the Potomac River. <laughs> uh, the, um, the, the, the fact, the ruination of character is closely associated. Uh, to a failure uh, of proper discipline for the want of character formation. Um, the, uh, so it's an act of love. And, and note it's not only bodily pain, but it is also an appeal to the conscience, the conscience, God-given uh, moral disposition of uh, the mind, um, the uh, wherein that moral, fundamental moral disposition, sense of right and wrong, is addressed. 
And according to God's plan, that the conscience gives mental pain when it's accosted or mental pleasure when it's rewarded, when it's approved. Um, the conscience being gratified or rewarded when it's praised for something good, it reinforces it. And the feeling of pain for ill-doing when, uh, when it's reproached, it reinforces again uh, the idea that it shouldn't be done. Um, Proverbs 29.15 teaches us that the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. In other words, it's not just the rod. The rod's meaningless of itself. Uh, uh, Actions gain their meaning in relationship to the explanations they have in words, and that's why it's so crucial for the interpretation the rod and reproof together bring wisdom. Um, And there's there's a real joy, there's a pleasure with respect to this in speaking well and being commended that reinforces the behavior. And there's real joy in the one commending the joy uh, to see one who speaks well. You see this in Proverbs twenty-three, fifteen. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exalt when your lips speak what is right. There's a real joy for the one who is providing this discipline to see it embraced and to see it bear fruit in one, uh, the the child who speaks well. And uh, on the other hand, um, it is a joy to the one speaking, Proverbs 15, 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. There's a a real pleasure that comes from that as the character is formed. Pains and pleasures, rewards and punishments, these are crucial to the formation of character. And they are brought to bear on another in such a way that he owns his behavior and he feels the connection between the act and the consequence. And he sees that choices His choices largely determine the outcomes for himself. And most important here is not just knowing this truth speculatively, but to know it in my lived experience. Thus I learn prospectively that the choices I make largely determined for me pains and pleasures in this world. And if I don't learn that, then prospectively I am foolish with respect to my choices and bring a, a world of trouble down upon my head. Um, the, uh, in fact, to acquiesce to excuses is fatal to wisdom and righteousness. To mitigate unjustly, uh, uh, a person's responsibility is to do them harm. A crucial element in character formation is that I see my behavior and count it as mine. I own it, I feel justly responsible for what outcomes are forthcoming with respect to it. 
And according to the wise men of Israel, this work must begin early. Uh, Thus, Proverbs address the youth. Uh, Other cultures have seen this. I mentioned the last time, the Roman poet Virgil. As a twig is bent, so the tree inclines. There there you see a pagan, uh, uh, a a person that Paul speaks of as being apart from God and good in this world. Yet, nevertheless, his being created in the image of God and the character of the world preserved by God leads to the ability to recognize uh, certain patterns of behavior as good and evil and how to uh, help to modify a person's behavior to that end. Uh, And, uh, of course, we argued that these same principles can uh, apply to us at any age. It's just harder the older you get. Uh, You're more resistant to to change. But nevertheless, uh, there can be a molding. And um, this work is of the utmost importance. And again, we see it um, uh, recognized by... um, mere humanistic thought as well as according to biblical thought. Um, I think I quoted Ralph Waldo Emerson, sow a thought and you receive an action. Sow an act, you you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, you reap a destiny. Um, That pattern is exactly the pattern of Proverbs. Tyrone Edwards, the great-grandson of Jonathan Edwards, put it this way, uh, very similar. Thoughts become words, words become deeds, deeds become habits, habits become character, and character becomes destiny. You see the same chain uh, there uh, in terms of the development of human nature. And last time... uh, Paul Balzrak uh, gave us that wonderful quote, uh, uh, President Ronald Reagan, uh, in a speech to the cadets at the Citadel in South Carolina in 1993, uh, repeated the same pattern. Um, The character that takes command in a moment of crucial choices has already been determined. It has been determined by a thousand other choices made earlier in seemingly unimportant moments. It has been determined by all the little choices of years past, by all those times when the voice of conscience was at war with the voice of temptation, whispering the lie that it doesn't really matter. It has been determined by all the day-to-day decisions made when life seemed easy and crises seemed far away. The decisions that, piece by piece, bit by bit, developed habits of discipline or laziness, habits of self-sacrifice or self-indulgence, habits of duty and honor and integrity or dishonor and shame. Note, however, as we've been implying and now I want to underline, This is a work of nature, not a work of grace. This belongs to the capacity of human nature as God created it, and it can be drawn upon by parents and moralists in every place, in every age, quite apart from our fall into sin and death. And 
this is demonstrable uh, if for no other reason that uh, uh, many young men who were thought to be incorrigible by their uh, overly soft guidance counselors and uh, teachers were put in the army and suddenly became men of character. They suddenly had that human nature disciplined in a way that formed a character in them that became consistent and uh, fruitful and useful in the world. Um, And the point is here uh, that this righteousness is uh, merely relative righteousness. Um, In view here uh, is not something we could ever depend upon for our own salvation because it's utterly inadequate with respect to that. It is only useful with respect to this worldly goods. We cannot depend upon even the finest, this worldly character, molded in the fashion that we've described, to be found judicially righteous before God. And this is where I wanted to direct your attention to that quote from Calvin that I mentioned. I I sent again the the um, uh, quotation sheet, and I hope you have this available to you. Although if you don't, I think I could probably quickly uh, get to it and put it in the chat box. Um, let me do that. Uh, so that you can follow along. All right, that should be in the chat. It seemed to uh, take an ascent. Um, so listen to Calvin here. We must be very careful not to be carried away by a worthless trust in good works to the point of forgetting that we are justified only by faith in Christ. The person who wants to be justified by works then must do more than produce just a few good deeds. He must bring with him perfect obedience to the law. Moreover, even supposing that the righteousness of God should content itself with a single good work, the Lord would find in his saints not this one good work done in such a way that it would be praised as righteous. For although this may seem astonishing, it is indisputably true that there is not a single good work springing from us which is entirely perfect and not soiled by some stain or another. This explains why we who are sinners and sullied by numerous stains of sin must be justified by something outside ourselves, we need Christ. So do you get this distinction here? This is a work of nature. 
It is not a work that can possibly be saving, no matter how uh, accomplished we are in, 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 in pursuing it. And in fact, we add further here, it's not only a work of nature, but the Holy Spirit's restraining power in this world is at work even here, making effective uh, that molding of uh, natural human nature. If the Holy Spirit would leave us entirely to ourselves, our depravity would overcome uh, these uh, uh, forms of character formation and wickedness would remain uh, in the uttermost. And in some societies, that's just what happens uh, when the Spirit abandons them to themselves. Um, So let me pause there um, and give you an opportunity to ask questions or objections. Do you, I, I, I want to be sure that you see the dynamic here, that um, there is a real righteousness that is possible through the molding of character leading to uh, wholesome words that can be productive in a society, and yet that is, uh, and, and let me say, the Apostle Paul is a premier example of that. He can say with respect to himself, that so far as the law was concerned, he was blameless. And that would have been with respect to his use of wholesome words. But he came to recognize that so far as salvation is concerned, all his righteousness was as filthy rags. But the point is, we're looking from two different vantage points. We'll take those filthy rags in a second over the filthier rags of utter wantonness, murder, thievery, the chaos of society, and so on, we'll take those filthy wags. Uh, that is to say, we want human nature to be nurtured according to what's possible for it in this fallen world. And then for believers, we're pursuing that nurture in the hope that God is going to bless nature with supernature and that the work of the Spirit will... Uh, 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 have that person be led to embrace Christ, trusting not in their works at all, even though their character is well-formed, trusting not in that in the least, but only in the righteousness of Christ. All right, questions? Um, y- y- yes, uh, Cater, Will? Hi, Dave, it's me. I, I, I think I just need a little clarification. So for a believer to take up these um, natural principles, to use, say, uh, discipline in um, reading the word and studying and things like that, then we're using nature to nurture spiritual discipline. Is that right? Yes. So that's a kind of combo? That, that's precisely right. We're now doing it from a proper heart uh, with the blessing of the Spirit of God, and I'm going to talk about that. Uh, the, what po- the the way the gospel changes the, all the possibilities, but the the fact is, if you fail to use um, the uh, known characteristics of human nature, you will fail at real spiritual nurture because the heart's not enough, and that's what the wise men have been teaching us. It takes more than just uh, the inward character of the heart; it takes um, the uh, 
embrace of um, determination or um, the uh, uh, the 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 two points that I began with uh, that it is um, uh, character and consideration. In other words, pondering the nurturing of these things according to human nature to bring it into conformity with it. Um, you, you can see uh, a simple illustration. There's a certain method for learning to read and you've got to learn vocabulary, you've got to memorize, all the disciplines of memorization have to be brought to bear. You have to practice over and over again, repetition. Uh, uh, all of that to make it possible for you to read the word. Uh, the word is not going to profit you if you look at a page of symbols and don't know what it means. And, and so you have to go through all of the uh, human nature-like characteristics uh, of learning the mechanics of reading in order to gain the spiritual benefits that the word has for you. And that's just true across the board then with all the capacities of human nature. Uh, you have to uh, be molding and nurturing those capacities of human nature in order to have them deployed in favor of Christian nurture. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you, Dave. Mm-hmm. Other thoughts, reflections? I, I might say that historically, you, you can see that Christians got this because everywhere they went in the world where the gospel was carried, education went with them. They uh, established schools, not because they thought schools were going to make Christians, but because they knew that Christians couldn't prosper without what schools brought to them um, in, in terms of the development of human nature. Other... Dave? Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's in degrees, right? Because, I mean, your life is given to this pursuit. So you're uh, delving into an abilities are greater, that doesn't necessarily mean in any pastor that their heart is greater, but that your ability with understanding the scripture is greater, right? I mean, there are very simple people who can read scripture, but they don't have all the tools that you have, well, and yet they are truly Christian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But... The um, uh, the the point is that if they don't have any of the tools, then they don't have the capacity. I mean, if a person were blind and and deaf and dumb, uh, I mean that's a a condition we have to leave to the sovereign mercy of God, because the normal means uh, of the development of human nature that would be antecedent necessarily for hearing and responding to the gospel aren't present. 
But on the other hand, having a highly polished uh, capacity of human nature does not in uh, and of itself make one Christ-like. It's only that the uh, technical prerequisite for the things that do make for Christ-likeness, and one can be enormously wicked and have all of the marks of the flourishing of human culture. Is that addressing... Yeah, I think so. But you said the heart, at, at some point, you said the heart doesn't matter. And I'm thinking of people that are very simple. They wait, wait, wait a minute, a wait a minute. It's not like where you live. I, I've never said in my life the heart doesn't matter. I couldn't uh, utter those so, words. <laughs> I thought you said something like that. <laughs> well, I... Just now. Okay. So... <laughs> Well, somebody ch- chime in because we're cl- clearly not remembering what I said uh, consistently. But no. I'll, I'll say it now: the, no, uh, the heart's absolutely essential. But the heart depends upon the cultivation of human nature in order for it to uh, express itself, to uh, uh, grow in Christ likeness. I if if I can't. Uh, um, if I don't know what words mean, Christ's word can't dwell richly in me. Right. Okay. I, I think I'm thinking of extremes that a person at the end of their life could be saved by just the change of their heart because somebody presents the gospel. Well, they the could be, well, no, it. no. In terms of the sovereignty of God, they don't even need that much. I mean, God can, in the moment a person dies, could regenerate them. They could have never right. been in, or persons, the infants dying in infancy, we certainly hold out right. that they had no capacity of human nature developed, uh, but God could sovereignly change the heart and bring them to himself. And um, that's part of the glory of the, the fact that God is sovereign in salvation and doesn't depend on us. Right. I, th- I just kind of felt like that needed to be said. All right. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> it's been said. I'm glad. <laughs> All right. Any other uh, questions, comments, reflections on anything that we've been saying thus far. All right, well, let me then turn um, to uh, the second point, and that is um, that, Well, actually, no, I wanted to pursue this point a little further, and this is going to continue us in the same theme. Um, the uh, uh, So where I intended to have ended was that um, the... Uh, the, cap- the development of the capacity of human nature toward this worldly virtue 
in and of itself is not saving and in fact cannot be. We've seen it cannot be uh, in the quote from Calvin because it's never perfect. Uh, But furthermore, the New Testament makes the whole matter even more acute. In John 8, 44, we read, you are of your father the devil, Jesus says, to these uh, very intelligent, highly educated Jews. You are of your father the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because the truth is not in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Uh, The character is determinative with respect to Satan, even though he is a being of extraordinary ability in a host of ways. And uh, this is true uh, for any who follow in his path. So Jesus can say in Matthew 12, 34, uh, to, to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, how can you speak good uh, when you are evil? And um, it's the gospel of grace that brings uh, the great possibilities of wholesome words, uh, really wholesome words as opposed to merely outwardly virtuous. And that brings us back to Ephesians chapter 4. You remember in 17, Paul speaks of um, the Gentiles. Uh, There's a certain futility attached to their minds because of the hardness of their heart. But he says to the Ephesians, that's not the way you learned you were renewed in the spirit of your minds. You, you don't have a futile mind. You have a renewed mind. Um, and uh, the, uh, you have put on the new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, and what follows from that? You've got a new heart. You've got a renewed mind and relationship. Therefore, that's transforming. And he says in 25, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth to one another. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for the building up as fits the occasion, as it may give grace to those who hear. Here's the marvel of the gospel, that the heart is changed not merely to live out what is virtuously humanly what is virtuous humanly speaking but now to live out, out what is truly virtuous uh, in, in a godlike and a Christlike way um, and instead of corrupting speech we have the opportunity to speak grace and to give grace to those who hear uh, this is r- renewed uh, uh, the same idea in Colossians 3.9. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, 
renewed in the spirit of the mind, we then have the capacity to produce wholesome words, a capacity that is Christ-given so to do. And this is the wonder of the way the gospel touches down uh, on our subject uh, this evening. Um, And it's in the context of that gospel transformation then that we look here at the idea of consideration or the work that we have to do to nurture that. And uh, the best way we can turn, the best place we can turn, I think, in the time we have left is um, to what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, the uh, He writes to believers in your hearts Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you, and yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Um, the, um, th- this is a great text setting before us Um, the calling we have uh, to speak as Christians. And it's rooted, if we're to really be speaking as Christians, in Christ being set apart uh, as uh, holy, that we're honoring Christ the Lord. The capacity to speak the truth in love is rooted in the heart in a love for Christ where we're seeking that our words serve Christ and not ourselves. Fundamental, we're seeking that our words, like ourselves, serve Christ and that they simply are not a matter of serving ourselves. So, Christ is the Lord of my speech. That's the conviction I have. And and then... um, I uh, reinforce in my own mind a number of considerations. I prepare, always being ready, he says, uh, to um, make a defense. To be ready, that means to be thoughtful, to be deliberate in an effort, to be ready to speak, um, to give an account to anyone who asks for the uh, reason for the hope that is within you. Um, the uh, the uh, To make a defense, uh, that is to give an account of yourself in some way that addresses the mind. Uh, it's to give reasons. And this is to anyone who asks... Now, that means you have to be a listener. You have to attend to what people are saying and understand uh, the character of their question. Os Guinness uh, used to wonderfully speak of uh, the work of apologetics or um, giving a defense of the faith as requiring detective work. And by that, he meant having the ability like a detective, to ask careful questions of the person that you're speaking with 
so that you can understand the truth of the matter. There's no standard line, there's no set procedure, there's no five easy steps. There's uh, the real and genuine engagement with another person listening attentively to the things that they're saying. It means you've got to be a good listener, sensitive uh, to the words of the non-believer, the uh, sensibilities of the non-believer, uh, and to be uh, specific in the presentation of the truth to the one that you are speaking to. Um, and this requires you to be in the world, but not of it. it need, you, you need to understand your time and place uh, involved with people in such a way that they have the occasion to ask you uh, for the reason, uh, uh, for the hope that is within you, ready to give an account. And um, this, we honor Christ uh, in our hearts by embracing his word, uh, following the pattern of the psalmist, 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That our hearts ought to be a storehouse of God's word to make us able speakers, that we speak according to the sensibilities and cadences, if not the particular vocabulary of the word itself but that the word informs our words, that it's not merely a matter of quoting the Bible, but that our way of speaking begins to pick up the patterns and sensibilities of the Bible itself when we speak. Um, uh, in fact, uh, Daniel Dreisbach, a ruling elder over at uh, McLean Presbyterian, who is a professor at American University in the School of Public Affairs. He's done a great deal of work with the Founding Fathers and the relationship between religion and the Founding. And one of the things that he noted is that though not all of them were by Christian by any means, all of them knew the Bible and had read it such that the Bible informed their vocabulary. It informed their way of thinking about the world. And it became a part of the cultural vocabulary of that day and therefore greatly enhanced their rhetorical power in talking about issues of great moment. And uh, this is the wonder of God's truth uh, for those who um, uh, embrace it and um, are nourished by it and have their minds nourished by it. Um, uh, and thus, uh, we uh, give a reason for the hope that is within us. In other words, it, it's manifest, we're giving an account of a reality in our own lives that's visible to other people. And we do that with gentleness and respect, uh, having a sensitivity uh, to others a respect for their integrity and the gravity of the truth with which you um, deal. Um, and in all of this, doing in a good conscience, uh, faithful to the word of Christ. Um, the, uh, um, and so there's a beautiful hymn that sort of captures all of this. It's uh, entitled, We Lift Up 
as our shield, God's name. And one of the verses has us sing, by faith we claim his grace today. And, uh, excuse me, his grace today, the wisdom of our God to teach, his hand to guide, his shield to word, ward, the word of God to give us speech. Uh, that's f- finally what we want as to be those who would seek uh, to have a wholesome word to offer others, to be so um, enriched by the word of God through a heart, the heart of Christ worked in us by the spirit of God, that God gives a speech um, that truly can be a gracious word. Um, well, let me stop there and see if you have questions or comments or reflections on uh, what I've been trying to say at this point about the um, a source of good words or the making of good words. Anyone? Observation? Comment? All right, well, um, then let me uh, turn us to the question that I started with. Um, the, um, I had only one week left uh, on our schedule. Um, the, the next section is, uh, has at least three sessions, and um, I don't really want to start it because we're going to be all the way into January before we take it up again. Um, so, uh, as to next week, uh, we can either um, meet together and uh, if you have questions about anything we've covered that you'd like to raise thus far uh, this fall, or we could just do a Gabfest like we've done. You could raise any question you'd like. Just send me an email, tell me what the issue is you'd like to raise, and I'll collate a lot of those. Or we can just skip it all together. Maybe we're so close to the holidays that you don't have a Wednesday to, to give uh, at this time of year. So uh, let me hear from you what your thoughts are, several of you. What, what uh, inclination do you have one way or the other? Am I being clear? Either uh, no meeting, uh, a meeting uh, devoted largely to this subject, for you to ask questions or just a meeting in general for any questions you'd like to raise the way we've done before. Any thoughts? I would be glad to meet, but I may, but having said that, I may have a conflict on the 14th. So I could, I could say, yeah, I'll, I'll commit now to a meeting and then, and then bail out. But I would, I would be happy to meet. All right. And do you have a view about the the subject matter? Well, that, that you caught me off guard with, so that I would have to <laughs> give some. Uh, All right, would have to give a little thought. Anyone else? We're uh, happy to meet over here too, Dave. Say again. We're happy to meet over here too, and we would love a gap fest. All right. <laughs> enjoyed listening to all of the questions at the last gab fest as well all right and answers of course <laughs> right.
Anyone else want to get their two cents in or three cents or a dollar? I like a gab fest. That'd be fun. All right. Well, it sounds like we're working toward a consensus. Um, why don't we do that then? We'll meet next week. And if you have a question, if you would, email me uh, so I can sort of put them in an order that makes sense for us to take them up. And uh, I'll, if I can get it done, I'll send out the questions to you beforehand so you have a preview of what we're taking up. So get me what you'd like to discuss uh, as soon as you're able. But on the other hand, feel free to make it at the last minute too. Um, and that's what we'll do. Uh, and I'll look forward to being with you again next week. Um, any other uh, questions, concerns? Well, let me... Jay, are you... Um, this class has been so valuable, and I'm just wondering if you have, it, have considered making a recording of um, your teaching or writing it in some way because it's really been fantastic and i don't know i think it would be helpful for a lot of other people too <laughs> well i do all of our sessions have been recorded and they're on the new hope website so they're available oh, there i had toyed a year ago or actually two years ago with writing a book on the subject and uh uh a year into the pandemic, um, everyone was so distressed by the complete loss of any civility to be had using words in public life that uh, there were a whole slew of books published on the subject. And I saw all those publications and I thought, well, I, I would just be adding to uh, too much that's available. And I gave up on the project, but... Uh, Maybe I would think about it again. I don't know. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> uh, but the recordings are all all available, and, and the rest of them will be as well from here on out. Um, all right. Well, let me close this with prayer. Father, we're grateful for your word. We thank you for the high calling we have to uh, have the Lordship of Christ express in our use of speech. And uh, we thank you for the wisdom of the ages embraced in the Proverbs uh, to help us to um, uh, be able to have our characters molded so that we can be those who are habituated to wholesome speech and who nonetheless uh, take up the practices uh, that reinforce a wholesome way of speaking so that we truly can be those who give grace uh, to those who hear. And we pray that all of this would glorify our Savior and would enhance um, our witness to him in this world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.